What do your kids do when they're inside? What do they snack on? What do they eat? And just share your lifestyle with them. These people might be befriending you because they see how vibrant and energetic and healthy you seem, and they might be incredibly curious on how you do it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings. As always, I'm here with Ben Bergeron. Every week on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you, as always, for joining us. How are you, Ben? Doing great. Thanks, Patrick. Wondrous. We've got a great episode. We've got some good questions. We've got listener questions about strengthening uh, one shoulder to keep up with the other and working within a system to build a strong team uh, while in a bureaucratic environment. And our workout will be a conversation about how to ensure our kids enjoy movement more than screens. And then we'll wrap up as we've been doing the last few months with a moment of joy. Just one thing that has been bringing us a little bit of joy. Let us get into our warm up. We start each episode with your questions about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity. Those five factors how we eat, how we move, how we think, connect, and recover. Just a reminder if you'd like to get to the top of the queue, get on the new newsletter, chasingexcellence.email. The link is in the show notes to get you right there. And you will be able to uh, submit a question and it will get straight to the top of our list, which we've got two. Uh, this week, we've got two. I've, been, I've just been calling them VIPs. That's probably not the right way to call them, but <laughs> we've got two VIPs this time. First one's in our move category. It's from Kate. She says, about 18 months ago, my shoulder, uh, I broke my shoulder pretty bad, detached a few muscles. It was uh, it has healed very well with the help of a great surgeon and super PT. It kind of feels bionic now. My question is, how do I get the other shoulder to be as strong? I feel like the bionic shoulder now overwhelms the one that wasn't hurt. It doesn't seem, uh, it, it, do, it just doesn't seem to want to fire and play equally. Do you have any insight as to how to fix this? I've been giving it extra focus and work, but perhaps I'm not going at it correctly have surgery. <laughs> that's the quick answer. No, no, not really. Uh, yeah, that's, I, this is fair. This is very common. I actually just had this conversation with uh, one of our members um, that was coaching. She's had sh shoulder surgery recently as well, recent being about six, nine months ago. And uh, the shoulder surgery the shoulder she had surgery on, man, that's hard. She sells <laughs> seashells by the seashore. Uh, it is substantially more mobile and stronger than the other quote healthy one. So this question came up as well. And it's, it's really simple. And she's answering the question in her question, which is she's paid a lot of attention to the shoulder. She's doing pr uh, PT work with this you know, physical therapist that she trusts and likes a lot, the, the quick and short answer is you need to do the same thing with the other shoulder. And a lot of times that's hard because when you go to a really good PT, they'll do manual manipulations. They'll actually like really, especially a shoulder, they'll take the shoulder and almost sublex it. Or they'll pull it out slightly and they'll kind of work it through a new range of motion, which is what should happen. Um, kind of dig through some of the scar tissue and you can't be like, that's great. Now let's do the other side because the other side's healthy. It's not what you're there for. So that part is challenging. It's a matter of you. This is where we all know the benefit of lacrosse ball work, but the other way that you can kind of work through a, a manipulation, a manual is with bands attached to a door or a rig and allow that to 
So the example would be put that kind of uh, across, I mean, I'm showing it, I know that most people are listening to this, but put it um, kind of like where you wear a backpack across your shoulder, staying off of the bicep tendon and you'll know if you're on it because it's really pinchy and put your arm behind your back like it's uh, like someone's trying to take your lunch money, like bullying you and allow that to kind of like pull it back and work it through um, some different ranges will help a lot if it's a range of motion issue. And then the second one is all of the PT stuff. So all of the strengthening stuff that you've done, we just have to do that on the other side. I always think that the the first place I go because of the efficacy, I mean, like how much in the efficiency and uh, the compliance that people have to the protocol. And I'm not affiliated with them at this point at all, but it's crossover symmetry. I, it's three and a half to four and a half minutes a day. And I think it's a complete game changer for shoulder health, strength, and performance. So that's where I, it starts with paying attention to the other side, hard to do in certain areas, um, easier in others. But the answer is if you're <laughs> if you're seeing results from it happening on one side, it's not because just the surgery, it's because of the work that you've done post-surgery. Now you got to do that work on the other side as well. Next question is in our recover bucket. It's from Ben. I assume it's not from you, but that'd be weird. Sometimes uh, I jump in and I ask questions <laughs> to myself. You know, whether it's uh, This is what he's got for us. He says, I've been fully bought into functional movements for a long time now. I have. I started my it's journey. True. <laughs> it's true. After a big, ba- uh, big back injury, deadlifting inappropriately. Look, I don't think look at this. Yeah. Uh, wow. This has led me to Kelly Surrett and, be, uh, and his book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. I think his mobi- mobility material combined with comp train is a recipe for an unbeatable human being. I've been struggling with the end range dorsiflexion for a long time and is one thing I continue to work at. I've made improvements in other movement uh, quality like hip hip extension and overhead position, but really haven't seen a budge in my dorsiflexion. I also know we have atomic differences creating slightly unique movement patterns like femur length and squat depth. So I'm uncertain at this point to say uh, this is my anatomy and I cannot sit in an unassisted deep squat like K-Star versus continually finding this elusive dorsiflexion, which I'm more than happy to keep pursuing. Can you first start by... uh, T- making sure everybody knows what dorsiflexion means. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Uh, um, there's a lot in that question. Probably more than meets the eye with that. Uh, first, yes, I will talk about dorsiflexion. What did he say was the combination to create an and what was the word unbeatable human being or something? Yes. Uh, mo- uh, K-Star's mobility mater- material combined with comp train is the recipe for an unbeatable human being. Oh, I really <laughs> like that a lot. I agree. <laughs> Completely agree. Um, okay. Dorsiflexion. Maybe this is, is your question. That was a nice <laughs> sneak. <laughs> right? Is that so good? Uh, uh, and this is, uh, and oh my gosh, something I've struggled with is dorsiflexion for a very, so this, this Ben could be this Ben. Um, dorsiflexion is the flexibility of your ankle. Um, and it, it, it shows up in the ability to, when you squat, how far you can get your knee over your toes. So a great um, pass-fail test for this is lean, go up against sideways up against the wall, kneel down on the ground so that the inside leg is against the wall and drive your knee forward as far as you can without having the heel come off the ground. The reason we go sideways against the wall is so that you can't kind of like lean in um, or go around things. 
your ankle, knee, hip are all against the wall and you just try and drive your knee as far forward to your toes as possible. I hope people can visualize that and follow along. Um, if you can't get your knee to your toes, that's a fail. But really the, the, the gold standard is we'd love to be able to get four inches past. So that's a, it's a function of dorsiflexion, fancy word for um, ankle mobility. Um, the other one is plantar flexion, which is uh, would show up in like if you're wearing flippers swimming, how straight can you get your feet? So that's what your ankle does. Is it plantars, plants down, plants grow into the ground and dorsi. Uh, this is uh, like a dorsal fin of a fish goes up. That's the way I always remembered it when I was studying for my exams back in the day. Okay. Um, he's saying that he's had a lot of success with hip and overhead. Those come quickly. They come really quickly. When you work on them, your hips open up and it's really, really cool. And same thing with shoulders. When you work on them, they open up and it's really, really cool. When you work on your ankles, they're stubborn little guys and they don't respond right away. It takes a long time. So whereas your hips, you could do like a pigeon pose, you could do some Samson stretches or some Spider-Mans and holding something for 20 or 30 seconds, you're like, whoa, crazy difference. You do some banded distractions, some other stuff, uh, child's pose for your shoulders. You're like, whoa, what a difference. You do 20, 30 seconds for your ankles and old iron ankles don't make a change. You really have to spend lots of time at end range. And I think the best way to do this is just saying, I wouldn't blame it on your anatomical, um, proportions. I don't think it's because you have necessarily long femurs. It is, but don't use it as an excuse, um, is to spend a lot of time in the bottom of a squat. So this is one of K-Star's things is can you feet flat on the ground, hang out in the bottom of a squat for 10 minutes? I love that. Like, can you do that? And the answer is going to be no for this guy, for Ben right now. So what you do is you hold on to something to counterbalance. So hold on to... If you came in and watched me in the morning, this is what I'm doing when I walk in the gym. I, I, I promise you this is what I'm doing. If you came in, I would walk in. I would say hi to some people. I put my bag in the locker room. I walk back out and I grab a pole and I squat and hold it for three to four minutes. That's one of the uprights of the rigs. And I squat down and I talk to people as I'm doing it. But I will be there for minimum three minutes, sometimes upwards of eight, nine, ten minutes, because I know that I need to spend that amount of time after uh, a night of sleep when I work out early in the morning to be able to open up that area. And then what you do is you call it's called uh, prying. So you get there, you don't just kind of hold static. You can, but you just kind of lean in. You dig into K star words like dig into the corners. Lean in. It's okay if your heel comes off. Drive one knee forward. Put your elbow on your knee. Drive that side forward. Pull your chest up. Bring your butt back. And just create some space in the bottom of the squat. And there's nothing I have done that is improved. I know all the other ones. The you know, band around the top of the foot. Elevate it up. Drive it down. For someone with really, really tight ankles, that doesn't work very well. It works well for people that already have mobility there because then you get into the advantageous position. But without being able to get past a vertical shin angle, you don't get the weight leverage to be able to drive on top of it. This one you do because it's your full body weight. You're going to lean and try and drive your knee over your toe in the bottom squat. And then the other side in the other side, 
And here is the deal. You got to go two minutes to create the change. Two, 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 two to create the change. You got to go two minutes minimum. The other way to say it is you got to go five minutes per week, but I really like two minutes per day. If you did that every day, I really think you'll see a lot of changes. Um, And just recognize that ankles are stubborn. It's not going to come quickly, but you got to be able to sit there and kind of um, hang out in that bottom squat position. Love it. All right. So we, we took care of shoulders and ankles today. So good, good on us. Bionic shoulders and uh, you called it atomic ankles, but I call it <laughs> anatomical. Yeah, I, yeah, anatomical. Iron ankles. <laughs> All right. Last question we got. I don't have a name on this one. It's in our connect bucket. How do you recommend leaders within a bureaucratic system promote and reward intrinsic values versus extrinsic Uh, extrinsic metrics. I'm in the military and we have a very extrinsic metric based system for evaluations of subordinates, which lead to side-by-side comparisons and internal competition. In my experience, this can contribute to toxic environments and backstabbing within teams that would otherwise pursue a common goal. Yeah. What an awesome question. The high, the the first place to start with this is you got to do what you can with what you got for where you are. So I don't think the answer has to do with trying to change the way the military rewards people because it's the way the military is, is they need the black and whites. They need the no opinions. Just tell me, sir, is this, is this X, Y, or Z? It's got to fit into one of those buckets. If it doesn't go back and figure it out until you can tell me what's X, Y, or Z, I don't want a fluff. So in that type of bureaucratic organization, I would work with your internal team. And here's going to be, this would be my take on this. You might not be able to get the right people to be promoted because that's what's happening. Is It's going to be the people in a bureaucratic business. It would be the people that have the numbers, that are making the sales, right? If you're working with the sales, who's got the highest sales, that person gets promoted. When we all know that that might not be the best teammate, it might not be the person that's driving the totality of the business forward. They might actually be toxic and their contributions on the numbers and the spreadsheet might actually be dragging the organization down and they might go faster without them. Really hard to show that empirically. And that's why not everything that can be measured matters and not everything that matters can be measured. Those aren't my words, but it's, it rings so true. And I think it's really important for us all to understand that. But we're also probably not going to be able to change the organization. It's just, we can work towards that as a really big lofty goal. But for right now, you, I, would, I would encourage this leader to work with their team. And the way to do that, while you might not have the power to reward those people, if you're a strong leader, those people probably more than anything else want your approval and they want you to recognize their efforts and they want you, we are hierarchical beings and we want, they want you to share how important they are to the team with the rest of the team. And this is what you can do is you can determine what the value set is that you find valuable and you publicly share those accolades with the team. Thanks guys for being here today. Uh, Before we get started, I'd just like to point out that Bob last week exemplified our core values of this by doing this, right? Not those words, but in that essence. 
you know, Pat, you know the way we do this here. We have core value callouts where peers do this to other peers. You know, I'd just like to thank, um, you know, Patrick for stepping up while I was gone last week. I wasn't able to do this, this, and this. And Patrick, being the team player he is without hesitation, volunteered, went above and beyond and helped me out. Didn't make me feel like I was asking for anything. It felt like he wanted to do it. You know, I just want to call out Patrick for being such an incredible team player and a valuable part of the organization. Um, and you, that's what people want a lot. We are social beings. If we want that social proof from other people that what we're doing is recognized and valuable. Now, here's the weird thing. I get it. This might not be re- what's rewarded by the higher level of team. I would be really straightforward with that. I would, re- I would just call it out. Because the more that you try to hide that fact, it's going to cause some dichotomies and some inconsistencies, which might look like hypocrisy and go, guys, this is what I value. This is what I value as a leader. This is what I'm going to talk about. When my leaders talk to me about you guys, this is what I'm going to talk to them about. Is this what the army values? Is this what the, the Navy values? Is what this organization values? Maybe, maybe not. And unfortunately, it probably is not. What they're going to look for is the numbers. But what I'm looking for is this. Does that cause an inconsistency? Yes, it does. But what they the reason that they're doing that is because they need beyond a shadow of doubt. They just need, they can't have opinions. They need this. I'm telling you right now, this is the way I'm going to run this team. And that's, for a bureaucratic organization, I would not be a yes man. I would not. These are the people that change things. you know. And I would really suggest... This, this is probably the best answer is don't listen to me. Uh, read the book, It's Your Ship by um, Captain Asbrahoff, I think it is. So It's Your Ship, phenomenal story of a leader that went and did his thing his way inside of the Navy, which is, a, as we all know, a very bureaucratic organization. Love that. I think I, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis anymore, but years ago when I was, my favorite part about the the call them staff meetings if you want, but the coaches meetings, the staff meetings are with the start of that where everybody went around the room and said, Dan did this for me. I noticed this when she did, you know, and it's just like, it's so small. It took five minutes. And even me on the outside of it, because I was always kind of there as a uh, sort of right on the outside edges of the of the team. Like I felt it, like I, it made the team stronger even for me. And I wasn't the part of the core team who was doing this exercise on a weekly basis. And so that's just all to just say, uh, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that's a really powerful exercise and and habit to introduce. Dig it. All right. If you want to get a question in the queue, uh, head to chasingexcellence.email. Get on the newsletter list. Uh, we will send you a link, uh, and you can get to the top of the queue. Or of course, as always, you can find me on Instagram at PS Cummings. Drop me a DM, and I'll get it onto our list. We've got a question from Dora that we're going to do in our war- uh, workout today. But first, quick word of thanks from some sponsors. We're brought to you this week with continued support from Momentus. Visit livemomentous.com and use the code EXCELLENCE to enjoy a 20% discount on your first order. If you're looking to improve your sleep and boost your overall health, Momentus is the perfect solution. Trusted by the world's best teams and athletes, Momentus understands the vital role sleep plays in our well-being. This understanding is reflected in their sleep pack, specially formulated to promote relaxation and enhance sleep quality. It contains carefully selected key ingredients. According to Andrew Huberman, an advisor to Momentus, here's what he says about their sleep pack. There are supplements that can greatly improve the ability of most people to fall asleep and stay asleep. These three main supplements in this category are magnesium threonate, apigenin, and L-theanine. 
The, uh, these supplements, when taken alone or in combination, help people feel very drowsy, fall asleep deeply, and wake up refreshed the next day without any grogginess. Crafted by top experts and trusted by world's best teams and athletes, Momentus is creating products for all of us. So don't forget to visit livemomentous.com. Use the code EXCELLENCE. Receive 20% discount off your first order. Your sleep matters. Choose Momentus for a more restful night. We are also brought to you this week with support from Neurohacker. Resist aging at the cellular level with Qualia Senolytic from Neurohacker. Visit neurohacker.com slash excellence and get up to $100 off your purchase. And if you use the code excellence at checkout, you'll get an additional 15% off of that. Are you looking for ways to promote healthy aging and enhance your physical prime? Follow-up question, have you heard about Senolytics? They're a groundbreaking class of ingredients that have been called the, high, the biggest discovery of our time. And today I wanna to introduce you to Qualia Senolytic by Neurohacker. Qualia Senolytic is a science-backed formula that helps you feel 15 years younger in just a matter of months. It specifically targets senescent cells, those pesky cells that accumulate in our bodies as we age and cause symptoms of aging like aches, pains, and sluggish energy. Think of them as zombie cells taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. But with Qualia Senolytic, you can prune these senescent cells, allowing the rest of your body to thrive. What's great about Qualia Senolytic is that you only need to take it for two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, and gluten-free, and the ingredients are carefully selected to work synergistically. Plus, it comes with a 100-day money-back guarantee, so there's no financial risk to try it. Ready to resist aging at the cellular level? Visit neurohacker.com slash excellence. Get up to $100 off your purchase. And if you use the code excellence at checkout, you'll get an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash excellence. Uh, my friend, we've got a question from Dora. A uh, bit of a long one, but I'm going to get through the whole thing. She says, we have incredibly kind neighbors who like to hang out with us outside while the kids are playing uh, around us. I really love these people, so I have to emphasize that I don't judge them. I just acknowledge that they have different habits, life, and values. As a result, their teenage children are, are already obese and their two-year-old is overweight. A few days ago, they invited us over for the first time. The TV was turned on in the playroom and they were immediately offering chips to the kids uh, so the kids were mindlessly eating while the teenagers were also constantly checking their phones. Uh, I then understood that this quote unquote mindless eating is the reason they keep gaining weight. While the neighbor's children enjoy playing outside, they can't always keep up with my kids. Uh, and in 20 to 30 minutes, I find them sitting on the bench playing on their phones instead. This is something I would really lo love to avoid later on. How do I raise them so they'll enjoy moving more than screens? I think I'm doing okay on the mindful eating part, but my four-year-old is already asking when he can get a phone because his older friends love to play games and he also wants to try. He has, a kin he has kindergarten friends who already have phones, although it's fortunately not the norm. I've accepted the fact that he is going to use a phone in the future and see all kinds of things that he will not yet be mature to encounter. I just don't want him to then forget the values that I've taught him, and I'm quite a bit anxious about this generation's future regarding technology. Hmm. So I've got some follow-ups, but I'd love your just kind of initial initial take from Doris' question. So I think there's two, as there often is in the the workout questions that we have. I think there's two main things at the root of or um, to address to chat about. The first is obviously what the question is: How do we navigate the technology, the screens, and the phones? And the next is um, spending time with people that are living uh, vastly different lifestyles and values that we have, especially with our kids who are so easily influenced. So let's take the latter first. Here's in terms of spending time with these people that you really like, you really enjoy spending time with. I wouldn't be opposed to having 
I don't want what we we talk talk a lot about. We're not here to, as she said, to pass judgment. But what we are here to do is to help where help is wanted. And we might not know if help is wanted here in this case. So I don't think it's our place to push this on them, meaning invite them over to your house for an at-home workout, right? Like we might not get to that point. I'm not I'm not saying don't do that, but to me, that would be a big leap in the beginning. Um, but I do think she mentioned that she went over to their house for the first time. So this is not a long-standing relationship. She really enjoys spending time with them, but she just went to their house for the first time. I would really encourage her... The, the parents and the kids to come over to your house. Uh, the next three play dates should be at your house. And I know that when they're at your house, you probably spend most of the time outside. And it says, sounds like until the kids get tired, and it's probably the end of it. But have them at your house and then bring them inside. And what do your kids do when they're inside? And what do they snack on? What do they eat? And just share your lifestyle with them. These people might be um, befriending you because they see how vibrant and energetic and healthy you seem, and they might be incredibly curious on how you do it. And if we never bring them into our world, they will not have eyes on that and will still be in the dark and have very low levels of awareness of what it could look like otherwise. So I would um, have the next three play dates or otherwise be at your house and spend time inside. And have them snack. Then from there, I would have the next play date be at a playground or even better, go for a hike or something along that end, right? Maybe if it's summertime, you're going to a beach and you're swimming or doing water sports, but doing something active. So you're showing this is our norm. This is the way we operate. And maybe they get even more curious because then they become aware of the gap in terms of the capacities at which they could operate. And then it becomes like, hey, wow, this is crazy. You guys do us like the, the levels of curiosity about eat, sleep, train, think, and connect pop up. And now you have those connections. And as we've always talked about, I think the first place to go is, you know, join me 10 o'clock on Saturday for a little workout in the garage and make it something that they can be successful with. Like, oh my gosh, like we, this is always like, if you're going to take your, if you want to teach your kids how to ski, Make sure the first three times they go skiing, it's warm, sunny, and not icy. Like 101 of creating spark and interest. Make it something that they enjoy. Okay, so that's like the first part of that conversation, and we can double back on that. The next part is the screens component, and it's really hard. It's really hard because it's so prevalent, and I think that we really quickly fall into the victim mindset here. Most of us. And we go, gosh, it's so, and our kids are on. But when I was a kid and our generation has to deal with the, in the 1940s, there was no TV. By the 1970s, every kid was watching Saturday morning cartoons every, every, in every household in America. And those parents were probably having the same conversations we were about I never did this stuff. The best I did was listen to a, um, you know, after dinner radio show where we sat down together, but no one ever stared at a screen and no one got absorbed. No one got in this tunnel vision and this absorption where they, we were all together as a family when we did. This is not unique to us. We, that's the first thing we have to recognize is we are not 
special in terms of the struggles that we are facing. This is the struggles of a parent. And it's going to be the struggles of the next generation and the next generation, just like it was before us and before us. Before the TV, it was the radio. Before the radio, it was something else. I'm not smart enough to know what that thing was. But it's always going to be this thing where we wish our kids were doing something more proactive, more active, more in line with the visions and values of what we want them to grow up to be and probably has something to do with academics or athletics. Um, so that's the first place I would start is go, uh, this is not your unique special struggle. And what I mean by that is like your generation's unique special struggle. This is just something that's always been the case for parents. And then, yep, we have to figure out ways to navigate it. And it's not a, a hint. It's not um, an extra layer of responsibility. It's not a hindrance. It's not a burden that we need to overcome as parents. It's just part of raising healthy kids. So that's that high level aspect to this. Now, how do we get into the actual tactics and strategies of how to navigate this thing? That's always the more fun conversation because it's really tactical and you can put them in place. Um, but also recognize that these are all arbitrary and none of them are right. It's just the way that different people, it's nutrition, the same thing as nutrition. We have to understand the principles, the high level principles of nutrition, but whether you do macros, ketos, zone, paleo, um, or anything else, those are all just tactics and they can all work different for different people. So the tactics that I use for my kids is based off of the multifactorial environment of our family life. It is not something that could necessarily be picked up and moved and placed into Patrick's family. And what Patrick does can't be picked up and moved into someone else's family because you'd have to move everything. Patrick works at home in his backyard, in the man shed, and they're, they're a couple miles from the beach and his kids are this old and this old. And um, Patrick was raised this way and his wife was raised this way. And when they were younger, they did this. It's... There's so many different factors. So as we talk about the tactics, they're the sexy, cool, fun things, but it's really not the thing. The thing is the high level principles and then the understanding of how to apply those. So having, having said all of that, <laughs> I think just being really clear is the biggest thing. And that's the, you know, I, I came across this thing and we've talked about this on the podcast before. As parenting, I think one of the best pieces of advice I could give to new parents is to follow through on your threats. And that's that's a weird way of saying, you know, the other way of saying that is keep your promises. Yeah, I was going to say, you could also flip that and just say promises. Yes, just keep your yep. promises. Meaning if the rules in the house, the, if you promised that kids have a couple hours on Saturday and Sunday mornings... Um, Friday night. So basically it's the weekend, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, they have iPad time. Um, if friends are over after dinner on the weekends and everyone's doing their gaming thing, cause that's what kids like to do a lot, especially Northeast in the winter where they're probably not, you know, going and playing kick the can or manhunt or any of those games that we played as kids. Uh, then we'll, we'll do that as well. But there are, there is no screen time during the week unless we're on a long car ride. Long car rides are the exception to that. Now, uh, we have a mutual friend, Max. 
Max is, you know, he he has a young child and they, they've she's I think four years old and they've traveled in planes and she's never seen a screen. She's she's never been put in front of a screen. That's burly. That's really hard because everyone knows how the screens are pacifiers. Um so what I would the suggestion is not no screens, not what we're doing, not what Patrick's doing, but the suggestion is very clear rules of engagement and then follow through on those. It's not because and we'll also follow through on whatever the thing is. Like if you don't go and brush your teeth right now, you're not getting the iPad on Saturday morning. Whatever that threat is, that weird thing that parents, you know, say. On, if they don't brush their teeth or if you don't clean your room, then you don't get your iPad on Saturday morning. And if the kid doesn't clean his room, that can't fall as an empty threat. We, You really, really need to follow through on those things. And it is amazing the difference when you do and you don't follow through on those things. It's just crazy. And you're really doing yourself a favor. In the short term, it's going to be harder because we know how much easier it is to have your kids on the iPad for two hours while you go and do your breath work, yoga, and workout Saturday morning. And if they're not doing that, they're coming and bugging you or they're bickering with each other or they're you know making forts in the living room that you need to pick up later on. It's it's so much easier, but you have to do the hard thing of that Saturday. You don't, you, it's a punch. You are going to end up being punished for it, but in the long run, it pays off so much. So we can double back on any of that stuff or expand or find new pastures to graze in. But that's my first crack at that. I love that. Um, and also shout out to Manhunt because that was, that was fun. Manhunt. When Absolutely. You were shout yes. out to anybody who did that. Um, the thing I would love to unpack a little bit more, because I think it, it, it um, reflects both on kind of each one of those angles that you just took is just the power of influence and recognizing the power of influence, not only in our own lives, but obviously with our kids as well, right? So who is influencing who in that, in sort of your first answer, which I love, which is like, take back the influencer, influencee scenario. If you go to somebody's house and they're on their iPad and they're eating chips and they're doing, we like we're the environment that we're in dictates what's being in, what, what is influencing us even as adults. And certainly when our kids are involved. And so if this is what we do around here, which is kind of a phrase, this idea that we've talked about a little bit here, what we do around here is incredibly powerful and influential. And so recognizing that if we're in, if we find ourselves in a position where like, I don't like the rules here, it's because whatever the rules are here is influencing the behavior and the feelings and the vibe. And if we want to change that, or we don't like that, we need to put ourselves in a position where either those things are better or we are the one influencing, which is why I love your, your advices, bring them over to your house because then the, the, this isn't like a weird way to put it, but like the power dynamic flips, it then becomes, they're entering into your environment. They're entering into your definition of what we do around here. And I guess at, le at least in Dora's case, she clearly has a preference for one versus the other. Um, and so, I, so I like that. And I think that's really powerful to remember that we are always being influenced and we are always, we always have the ability to influence either the environment or the people we're, we're in. Come on over. We're going to do a workout. That could be incredibly powerful. 
maybe this individual, this neighbor has never had anybody who's influenced them in that direction. Maybe they grew up a certain way to your point about all the context that goes around. Maybe their family does this. Maybe her parents taught her this and she hasn't ever had a friend say, come on over, we're going to do this and we're going to do a workout and then we're going to hang out and chat for 30 minutes, whatever, whatever it might be. And so recognizing that we have the power to influence as much as we uh, can fall victim to other people influencing us is really, really powerful. Yeah. It's so well said. You know, when we put together that hundred words of health, it started with create an environment in which it makes it easy to eat, sleep, train, think, connect well. It's all, it's the, it's one totally the environment. And yes, when you're in somebody else's environment, I don't think you're exaggerating it when you say you're giving up the power and because that's really what that is. It's, it's goes back to the question we were talking about earlier in terms of when you're in a bureaucratic organization, you're giving up the power in terms of the creating the rules of, of the, of the organization. It's not yours. When you're an entrepreneur, you have the power to create this thing in the light of your vision. And I, I, I think it's a really great call out that if you are struggling in, um, with your kids in other environments, keep them in control, like keep them in your environment. There, there may be extenuating circumstances where, right. They, it's not as easy. Maybe they live, you know, they're next door to the school. And you live 15 miles from school. So it'd be really weird if after school, if the kids came over to your house, only for the parents to have to, it would be, you know, it's things like that happen that become really obvious when you have the kids in elementary school for as long as we have. But um, as much as possible, I would really try to pull them into your environment. And to your point where you started this is like, don't underestimate the power of influence, not only with environment. You've talked about this a lot, but the power of a person, of a singular person. And I, I really like and appreciate when you talk about this, the power of a singular person to change change the trajectory of your life. And yes, this person may have never had a person in their lives that had health as a awareness point at all. And that's 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 probably really high up on the likelihood scale because I think that's more common than for sure. The people that listen to our podcast probably realize is the norm is not to be one of us. We are not the norm. The normal people do not um, spend hours a day thinking about trying how to optimize their vitality, life force, energy, and fulfillment. Um, that's why it's so cool that we found this community that we can share this conversation with because that's, that is who we are. But this is one of the things that when, um, during COVID we had a couple neighbors that we didn't know at all. And when we met them during COVID, we created a little bubble with these, um, two other families and they became some of our very, very, very best friends. When we met them, they did not do CrossFit. They did not um, train. They did not eat the way that we do. And, um, they started coming over to our house. All the, our house was the meeting point. And now they are as dedicated members of our gym as anyone else that we've had. And it's been three years of that. And they've, you know, it's a big part of their lives now because, and I think it's really, it's for the simple fact that our house was the meeting point. 
I think if somebody else's house was the meeting point, it would have been very, very different. We're shaped by our environment. Last question I've got, maybe a little bit closer to the tactic side of things, which is, do you, your kids are a bit older than mine, so um, I haven't really needed to get to this point yet, but do you have conversations with your kids, you know, Bodie and Harley specifically, about screens, about why the rules are the way they are, or is it just like, no, we don't do them in the week, but you can, you do them on Friday and Saturday, Sunday, and we kind of leave it at that. And the sort of the analogy I wonder is, is or the comparison is how you th- talk about nutrition in the house as well. Like, are they comparable enough that it's worth talking about? Um, or are they so different that they're not? Heather is, <laughs> hates the screens. So this, this conversation is always prevalent. She's, um, she thinks of screens the way I think of um, sugar and processed foods. Like I think sugar and processed foods have the, the potential to kill you. And she thinks the same thing about screens. She's like, you are wasting your life. Like she's she's not shy about the 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 values that we placed on what they're doing. Um, and anyone that has spent time researching this or even watched lightly the social dilemma or anything close to that, I think recognizes her her perspective and how it's um, maybe not as extreme as it sounds, how dangerous screens can be. But yes, we do have those conversations. Um, they are very, our kids are very aware of it. It doesn't mean that they don't want it. It's the same thing with sugar. Like if we, we have all the conversation we want about sugar, when Halloween comes, they're still eating the sugar. Like when they go to birthday, they still want the cake. It's a incredibly uh, alluring, fun, pleasurable thing that taps into our, our, our hormonal system to where it overrides a lot of the willpower that you might have. So we do talk a lot about it. And this is one of the things I think is why our approach of this, we're not saying no, we're just saying in these buckets works fairly well because they can do it just like they can have some sugar, but we're putting it in context and in constraints. It's not just, no, you can't do that without any context in terms of why not. We talk about the why not. And then it's not, you can't never do this. It's in a certain constraint of when it can, you know, as EC would say, it's dose dependent. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you to Dora for the question. We're going to jump into a new shout out and uh, we're going to talk about a moment of joy. First, a quick word of thanks from a few more sponsors. Are you tired of dealing with back pain and muscle ache? Well, you need to know about Chirp then. Head to gochirp.com, use the code excellence for 10% off your first order from the brand, revolutionizing pain relief and muscle recovery. With their simple and effective tools, Chirp has helped over a million folks feel good and do more of the things they love. So what is Chirp and how does it work? Chirp's flagship product, the Chirp Wheel, applies targeted pressure to the muscles surrounding your spine, stretching and strengthening them while elongating your spine. Unlike traditional foam rollers that can hit your spine and cause discomfort, the Chirp Wheel has a spinal canal that cradles your spine, protecting it from compression. Plus, the Chirp Wheel comes in different sizes, allowing for customizable pain relief and muscle recovery. But Chirp does not stop there. They just released the Chirp RPM, a unique device that combines rolling and percussive massage techniques. With its wide massage 
massage area, the RPM covers 400% more surface area than traditional massage guns, making it perfect for flushing out tension in large muscle groups. This has been a game changer for me. I've been using the RPM at night before bed. It's a simple way to get some solid recovery every single day. Go to gochirp.com, use the code excellence at checkout for 10% off your first order. That's G-O-C-H-I-R-P.com. Use the code excellence for 10% off. Say goodbye to back pain and muscle aches and hello to simple effective recovery with Chirp. We are also brought to you this week by Comtrain. Shout out to Comtrain, the training platform for CrossFit Games veterans, uh, sorry, CrossFit Games athletes, Navy SEALs, Olympic hopefuls, weekend warriors, and challenge seekers of all stripes. Head to Comtrain.com, learn more about the new app, the latest and greatest from the team that has just been released. Ben, I've got one question for you. One of the big evolutions of Comtrain from kind of old to new, old to future is this idea of time-based training. Give me a sense or give folks a sense of why that was important uh, as we were shifting from old app to new app. We, I want to create the most powerful, effective way to get you as fit as you possibly can, as fast as you possibly can. Now, some people can train for two hours a day. That's not most people. Some people can only train, get in the garage, get the thing, 30 minutes and get out. This app, what it does is it gives you the most effective training program that you could possibly have for your given amount of time that you have available that day. So whether you have 30 minutes or two hours or something in between, the program will adjust to give you the most impactful training session for that day. And it seems kind of obvious once it's there, but like, how can you, how can you create a training program not knowing how long people have to train each day? I can't give you an hour and a half of training if you only have 30 minutes. And similar to that, if I only give you 30 minutes, but you're expecting to train for two hours, that's a really big miss. So once it's there, it's kind of obvious, like how could we ever have done this without it? But I do think it's a really great um, place for people to adjust daily because some days I have 90 minutes and other days I only have 30. So it allows me to know what the most effective training program is as well. Love it. All right. If you're ready for the kind of hard physical training that you'll want to come back and do again tomorrow, search for the Comtrain app in the app store of your choice, or just head to comtrain.com today. Start your free trial, get on the path to being fitter and more challenge ready than you've ever been before. Okay. Shout out. This is from Gracie. I think that was her name on, uh, this was an, a podcast review. We, in the shout outs, we like to just read a note that folks have sent us or sometimes a podcast review. Mostly as a way for us to say thank you for those folks or to those folks who send these uh, notes to us. This is from Gracie. She says, writing my first ever podcast review. Thank you, Gracie. Been a podcast connoisseur since 2015 and picked this one up in 2019. There are many great podcasts I toggle through, but this is the only one where I simply cannot miss an episode. And I've even gone back and listened to many episodes that are years old. I passionately share the values discussed on this podcast that extend far beyond fitness. Five factors have given me a tangible framework for which to intentionally live my life and add value in all of my roles. It seems counterintuitive for someone who is not directly part of the CrossFit community. I choose Brazilian jiu-jitsu training over training at a box to religiously listen to a quote-unquote CrossFit podcast, but but there uh, is so much more value in chasing excellence and improving your friend time. I wrote into the podcast last year about struggling to find like-minded people in my family friend group and received invaluable advice that has helped me reframe this challenge. I hope this podcast continues on indefinitely and I can continue soak, to soak up the wisdom shared. We are chasing what truly matters. Oh my gosh, you used so much for our, our <laughs> verbiage and so so good, Gracie. 
Grant yes. Gracie is right. a great name for someone doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That's a very, that's right. very famous name in the BJJ that's right. community. So that's very right. cool. Um, all right. Cool down. We're going to do a moment of joy. We do this about once a month. I started a couple months ago. I love it as an excuse to sit and stare at the wall and think about something that's been giving me joy. I'll go first this time. I'll let you wrap it up. We, uh, a handful of weeks ago now, we'd had Thanksgiving. And so uh, it's one of the few times in the year that the whole family, sisters, cousins, parents, et cetera, all are in the same house at the same time. And we're getting to a, an age now where the kids can sort of go off on their own and play. Like the ranges are like three and a half to like nine. And so they're still, they're still not a hundred percent, but by and by and large, they can kind of like run around outside and they chase each other. The older ones look out for the younger ones, et cetera. So that's wonderful. And that's really fun to see. But the moment of joy, the thing that I thought about was because they're getting to that age where my sisters and I, my parents, of course, can actually sit in a room or sit around a table and eat and talk <laughs> and actually have more than like 15 seconds before our kid comes in and needs help and doing something or somebody's crying or whatever. And so it's been, cause it's been seven to eight years where there ha where there's been little ones running around and parents as parents do, like we've got to make sure that nobody's crying, nobody's hurting each other, everything, you know? And so we're actually getting to a place now where we have long stretches of time where we can just sit and talk and catch up. And the, the time, the number of times throughout the year, are not nearly enough, but it's really nice that when we are together, we can actually sit and talk and have a conversation and catch up and laugh and tell stories. And so that was a Thanksgiving that was uh, particularly fun and uh, enjoyable for me. I think that's uh, you're coming into the heyday of parenthood. I, I really think, I think so. this is the way my experience, I think from seven to 13, those seven-ish, eight-ish years is really, which is really short, by the way. Um, but that's the, because the kids still, you know, you're you're kind of in control in a sense. You're driving them to places. They're on your schedule. Um, they really enjoy you being around. You can still fall asleep with them in bed and read them books and snuggle and get under a blanket and watch a movie. And they're still around a lot, which they're not going to be in the teenage years. Um, but you're past like the, you have to brush their teeth, get them in shower, get them dressed, pack diapers and uh, stroller and all the other stuff. It's, I think it's the best time as a parent. It's, I think it's a really amazing, you know, you know, seven, eight window year. Yeah. That window is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really special. And I'm trying really hard because this is our second time through it. I'm trying really, really hard to, to be present and aware of how amazing this time is. Um, all right. Mine's, a, mine's the same. That's, that's crazy. Uh, was Thanksgiving uh, a few weeks ago and we have a very modern family, I would say. Yeah. Uh, the other I'd word say to right. say that would have been broken, <laughs> like, but functional is the other way to say it. So Heather is um, divorced and we spent the Thanksgiving at her ex-husband's house. We get along incredibly well. Her, his wife is phenomenal. Um, she, she's as unfiltered as Heather, even more so, which seems crazy and un, unbelievable, but it creates for a very open, non-judgmental, fun, exciting environment to be in. 
there, my dad went. So we're spending it at Heather's ex-husband's house with their whole family, but yet Heather's parents and my dad went and joined us. It was this big mix mash of families that it just, there's not a moment of awkwardness whatsoever. It works incredibly well. We love them a ton. Uh, and I, I really find a lot of joy in that relationship and particularly that relationship during Thanksgiving. And there was, you know, it was 45 people in a tiny little house it was nice weather and we went for a 40 minute walk and it was the same thing. The kids go off and do their thing, but they come back in for dinner and then they go do their thing. And then we come back in and do the walk together. Then they go do their thing. And then they're snuggling on the couch as we watch football and have these conversations. Um, and his family is made up of uh, an incredibly uh, eclectic group of people that are a very passionate and successful in very different ways. Um, he's a one of the most successful coaches I've ever met. Um, brother-in-law is uh, a, a famous musician, pop singer. Um, and it's just, they have uh, artists in their family that, you know, are incredibly successful, which is really hard to do as an artist. And then they have, you know, everything in between, um, and it just, it was a really amazing thing that I don't take for granted. Cause I think it's really rare to have that level of a relationship with, um, in that dynamic. So found lots of joy in it. Love that. 45 people. That's a lot of people. It was, but it didn't was, seem like it as well. Yeah. You know? I hope it was a big Turkey. It was actually chicken. They didn't do Turkey, chicken. which, right, which also is a moment of, of joy because Turkey's wait, <laughs> Turkey's not good. Turkey's overrated. <laughs> Turkey's completely overrated, especially like the next day. It's like, it's just so dry. Like we're making turkey soup. We're making turkey tacos. We're making turkey stew. We're making turkey sandwiches. Everyone's like, can we just have some chicken? It's better, you know. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. If you want to go to the newsletter list, go to chasingexcellence.email. Drop your email in. We, we uh, send out emails every Friday. And Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence.